Hi and welcome to the MMU Photography Podcast, a weekly informal conversation with the guests that have been kind enough to join us during our Wednesday morning Village Green Lecture Series. The lectures this term are centred around the theme of photographic communities. We will be welcoming a range of photographers, artists, organisers and academics to talk about the importance of working collectively in their research and practice. This week, Alicia Hart, Sarah Howe and I are joined by artist JJ Chan. We discuss visual language, fluidity and structure, feeling empowered, translation and occupying space. So hi, uh, my name is JJ Chan. Um, I'm, I'm an artist. I make um, things across uh, sculpture and film and writing. And uh, my main concerns are I suppose about the way that we um, construct realities and imagine those realities. I want to I want to talk about your official language, and obviously, um, you know, obviously we talked about some of the commercial references within. But how long did it take you to create that sort of language um, that you have within your work? Would you say as an artist? That aspect, that's a really interesting question. It's, um, I suppose it depends on um, at which point we start understanding things as images and um, and that and I suppose my understanding of images is, is continually developing. So I understand uh, how images work much more now than I did when I was a teenager. But um, I also knew that when I was a teenager that images were really important. Um, not because they were necessarily um, good things, but they they were really important in um, in finding um, who each other each other are, and so we latch onto certain aesthetics as teenagers that we think uh, we belong to, um, and um, certain um, things that we like, and certain. Um, ways of imagining ourselves I suppose that some that quite often fall into stereotypes as well and so I kind of knew that that was really important because I found it really difficult to find my place in, in within that you know I was never someone who I had loads of friends but I was never part of uh, of 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 a, of a, of a clique you know I was one that kind of jumped from one to the next and um yeah, you know, had like a um, black hoodie one day, and then like my Timberland boots on the next day. And um, there was, I would jump between groups of of people who would quite often have negative connotations of each other through the way that they presented themselves. And uh, and I couldn't find where I where I belonged within that. I also went to a school where um, up until I was. Um, up until I was 12, I was the only person of colour in, that I encountered in education. So, it w- so, yeah, I suppose at that point, I started to search for something that I felt um, related to me as an as a individual. And, um, and I may be still looking for that. And it led me to kind of create images because I couldn't find one. And I think maybe also that because of those stereotypes um, don't, con- you know, ma- majority of people don't conform to those stereotypes uh, internally. And so everybody is in this kind of search for 
something that works for them or something that feels representative of them and and that's something that um we all struggle with i think mm. it's like what i was saying about voice i think maybe we all have um an anxiety that our voice is not how we we think of it i agree and having a 15 year old i see that she identity quite often overnight and i can really relate to what you're saying as well that's yeah. a I mean, so, I do that over Yeah. Yeah. When you're talking about that fluidity, and it's almost like you said, and it's nice to use clothes, and you're sort of trying on these things. And then in in your in your in your film, you were kind of almost reenacting or reperforming. And it reminds me a little bit of Hatain Patel's work, where he he sort of sees these gestures as quite, but by acting them, you sort of become them or you own them somehow. And so yeah, I was yeah. wondering then if, if you ever, sorry, this is a rambly question, but if, if you, are you ever allowed to own those spaces or are you just allowed to kind of occupy them temporarily? Um, In the, I, I suppose the fluidity comes from um, the fact that these, um, that these um, stereotypes are not so porous. They don't, they don't absorb um new way of being and they don't flow into each other they're quite defined um male and female for example or even like uh, generationally you know the millennial has suddenly become a an, a way of identifying or like uh, this uh, which it which seems quite absurd right that we would um that we would uh, that this would be um so important to somebody's identity you know, just the year that they're born and of course you know that the events or the things that they encounter have an impact on them but um, it seems really arbitrary that we would separate certain these things as generations um, and yeah so that's where the fluidity comes from a kind of um, not fitting in rather than an attempt to to just uh, you know it wasn't about a move attempting to shapeshift from one to the other it was more of a um the shapeshifting came out of an of a experimentation of like looking and, and not finding that you're not fitting in and then searching for something else um and that's that's why i'm still kind of doing that both you know i i was talking about practice and life being quite intimately um, entangled and um and that's kind of still what i'm doing now i'm still searching for that place you know the, the the question that I'm always asking is, where do I locate myself? How do I interact with the world as it interacts with me? And um, and you know, thinking about Hite and Patel's work um, about kind of occupying these um, roles momentarily, I think you know I I, I can't speak for him, but um, we we temporarily assimilate to to dominant cultures as a way of, um, I suppose, um, trying to fit into it. Mm. And uh, we do that in different settings. You know, I might, you know, I might wear a shirt if I'm going to a meeting with some, with a room full of um, men. And, um, and that might give me more authority than if I turn up in stilettos. And that's, um, and that's about assimilating to a an image of confidence and of authority and 
of the things that are um, formed of images that we've been fed. So that is about occupying it. And I, I was also thinking about um, the film Paris is Burning and how uh, the, the performers occupy um, these roles that they take from society, like um, you know the uh, uh, suits or uh, business wear or like the firefighter, and they, they embody this um, moment in fantasy. That in fantasy or it, through uh, creative practice, we're allowed to, to, to occupy the space temporarily. But we also understand that that film or that image uh, operates on a different level to images that we received in the everyday because art is this um, space that we also understand to be a little bit separate from reality. So there is this separation between it when someone encounters an artwork, um, they know that they're in a kind of safe space. So they're less offended, I suppose, uh, that their defences are less um, are less up when they're encountering artwork to when they're encountering someone on the street. I guess, um, and you said again, like occupied temporarily. And I, I was thinking about um, as well, like Joe Freeman and tyranny of structurelessness. And if we if we don't see the structures, then then we're just left temporarily occupying other people's structures, right? And so, and you also mentioned about your process um, that actually you don't really like understanding the structure of how how the image is made. And I wonder if maybe sort of really, I don't know if we were all fluid in code or something, if we really understood this binary, maybe we could have an ownership of that space rather than just being allowed to occupy it temporarily. Yeah, I think also that ownership has to, we have to consider it as uh, as ephemeral and temporal and changing. So uh, whilst we can occupy something, we have to allow it to change because if we don't, it solidifies, it becomes a new uh, dominance. And uh, the, capitalism wasn't always a the mainstream narrative. And you know, it's something that uh, has come and taken over and is all pervasive. And, um, and it was also very human centric. And we can imagine, uh, or maybe we can't imagine, but um, we like to imagine an alternative to that. And, um, and that's, I suppose, what, um, what we can do um, through, through, our, through thinking create, creatively, I suppose, in, in a kind of um, fiction, because we also know that fiction is a way that we can kind of leap into the future. And we know that fictions really impact reality. Mm. I was, I was jealous of, of uh, actually you, you sort of described it a little bit passively as in like as in you have to conform to a um when you go into a meeting you, you felt like yeah, you're yeah. conforming to that situation and for me it actually struck me as being a, a real position of power of being a feeling like you're able to to do that um d does it feel like that way or do, do you really feel like it's it's being forced to kind of fit into something it can do um I, I have a um, pair of three inch heeled boots that uh, make me feel very empowered when I'm doing crit. <laughs> but uh, that empowerment disappears when I'm walking down the street to the bus stop. Mm. So um, it, yeah, it's, it's very loose. I guess you know, in both ways, it's like, sorry, JJ. <laughs> it's like, in the it's more extreme so like the 
the feeling of being empowered might be say more extreme than that I might encounter if I did that but like the the averse of that is the transverse of that is like more extreme as in you you kind of feel much more vulnerable than I would walking down the street so it's kind of like accented both ways yeah you're offered moments of control and um, I mean those moments are also quite rare but you are offered moments where you do feel empowered by the way that you that you present yourself and sometimes you don't have to perform and I mean also you know of course we perform all the time anyway but you don't have to perform to the same extent sometimes uh, but there's this it's it's very, very brief and the performance has to come back quite quickly and um, I, I, I was at work the other day with my, um, you know, I was doing crits, heels on, I was wearing like a, like a knitted uh, dress and, um, and I felt fine the whole day. And then, uh, and then I got to the car and I had to call the AA because it had broken down. And this immense anxiety of um, uh, the mechanic turning up and uh, not having the same reference points to um, understand my image was really um, it was re- it confronted me really quickly without me realizing mm-hmm. and um, and I kind of hid in I sat I moved myself to the passenger seat knowing that he would come to the driver's seat so that I could leave the key on the on the on the chair and then sneak out before he noticed that I was wearing a dress and heels and I stood at the stood at the end of the car park in the dark, um, and and you know I, that I was also making an assumption that uh, the world or the space outside of the art studio would perceive me differently, where that my um, that my authority was very different as soon as I stepped out into the world as it would when I was there. Because also in that space, in the workplace or in the studio, my authority is kind of um, solidified by my job title, by my position within the within the 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 organisation, and um, and that doesn't that doesn't exist you know outside. Mm. You know, Sophie Cow mentioned yesterday that um, she perceived people on the street as silhouettes, right? And this is how we we perceive uh, each other. We perceive a silhouette and we assume an identity onto a silhouette. But that silhouette doesn't offer us the nuances of somebody's uh, personal life. Yeah. And so immediately, I think that when you're out and you're and you're out and about, your um, the things that are empowering to you um, that you can do externally disappear when you're perceived as a silhouette, because we know that the male silhouette has much more power than the female silhouette, for example. And there are different different stages of of that. And I suppose that that is particular to to the kind of culture that we find ourselves in. Um, But that's what we're we're dealing with, I think, as artists um, in this context. I was, maybe we we could also talk about a crossover between um, your work and mine, because you're also concerned with creating images, Ben, from, uh, from a kind of, rendition of something else uh, as a digital image and uh, although they're very different practices 
um, and have very different concerns, they're still concerned with the image. And I wonder how um, how you might understand the image or how maybe that there was something that resonate an element of what I was talking about that resonated with the way you approach images. It's mm -hmm. a good question. Um, <laughs> I've, uh, there, there's a translation thing that I'm really interested in that I've just been thinking about with students and, and seeing as, as an image as, as a translation of something, just the act, act of taking an image is also a, a sort of a translatory act. And certainly, I mean, as photographers, this digital analog thing is something we're well aware of. Um, and, and, uh, and again, for me, I've been thinking quite a lot about the sort of who has the power, who owns that translation? I don't think it actually is the photographer. I think it's maybe the, the people that write the code, you know, it's the, it's the algorithm makers, it's the it's the people that own the structure and we're allowed to rent it, we're allowed to borrow it, we're allowed to sit in it for a little bit. So there's that space that, that, that kind of I find interesting. And then the other thing is I think an image is a great place to, to try things. It's like, yeah. a, it's a nice box to put things into and to construct stuff. And, and, and to look at it in, in, and just take, take something and, and turn it around and look at it again and turn around and look at it again. So I kind of, I guess, and, and so, so of course my own practice is concerned with sound and so I quite like the idea that you can take that and then just like twist it and look at it and pull it apart and, and maybe an image space is quite a nice way of doing that. And I guess, mm. I, I, guess I, I, I guess you're doing similar or think of it as a similar, Spank. Yeah, I suppose the the key is, I suppose, that the image, it that the translation of one thing to another format is also generative of a new space. Mm, absolutely. It make it doesn't just make it doesn't just render the same thing um, in a different way, but it creates a whole new context around mm. uh, new thing, and also the relation between um, the translator and the tra and and. Um, what is being translated mm -hmm. so there is this whole new set of relations involved in the way that we now understand uh the first thing but also we've invented something new mm -hmm. there's an invention of a new perspective or a new like way of imagining something and i think that's um that for me is um what imaging is like the way that we create an image is um, about creating that space mm. and that space it's almost immediately occupied when we think about the processes of a camera right the space sometimes also as you say the camera defines uh parts of that new space it creates the like um the limitations and borders of it and so um it starts to the space that is cre we create is immediately occupied by some things already and so we have this like bit where we can create something, but we still have to conform to the uh, rigidity of the new space. And I think what um, what what I hope that we're able to do is imagine an alternative for the things that um, come with it, that the things that the apparatus that we use adds to a new space already, which is why we kind of rethink apparatus. And if we think of um, the the space coming first um, and then for the space to define the apparatus uh, we have this opportunity to also occupy the bits that are defined by the coding of the camera for example mm -hmm. so um, uh, we kind of approach the process backwards 
uh, content before um, process because the process is more limited than the, the scope of our imagination. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that's not just that's not to diminish the importance of of process uh, or or of um, making uh, in a in a practical sense, but it's just to uh, not allow that to create the um, boundaries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or I guess understand. You can use that as a way of understanding the boundaries, and once they're visible, and again we're talking about Joe Freeman, then then you're free to transgress them, you know, as you see fit. I guess I really like the idea when you're translating, like you said, it's not a lossless process, is it? Like it's not like you just move one thing to another. You you create a third thing, and I guess you asked me about my own practice. I'm like like mixing sound and image is quite a perverse thing. It doesn't work, right? And but but by trying to do that, something else is is hopefully created and. I really liked that kind of analogy. Because I suppose you're destabilizing both the image and the and the sound. You're kind of you know that both feel uncomfortable uh, in in the translation of it from one to the other. So you destabilize it through its rendition, mm. um, and that's what creates this necessity of the new space in order to make sense of that of that. Mm. But uh, but yeah, I think that new space is. The way how how that new space becomes occupied is where my concerns are um, and how we move between um, conceptualizing an idea and um, and then um, creating that space of the, the, the space that is um, imagined, I suppose, and how it might then um, fit it, become a reality. And we, we tend to uh, not not think of the camera as 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 big as an agent in the process as the as a human taking the picture and i think this is really linked to the way that we the importance we place on ourselves um in in existence this kind of human-centered way of looking when actually um the the roles of other agent acting agents this is like networked right you were reading the tour as well mm. that um this um you know the the other actants involved in the the network are are pushing against us at the same time we're not totally in control of any moment we're in control of society in so much as other things are also in control of us so there's this like, mutual working of it and I think that can be quite a, a beautiful thing, actually. Like, uh, and you mentioned um, assemblages and Deleuze, and, and and the nice thing about if you see yourself as an assemblage, you're kind of then uh, um, free to disassemble and and connect in in that way. Do you know what I mean? And, and there's there's like a possibility for more of a connection, maybe. Um, A and T, I guess, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, as you were speaking then about kind of um, untangling or like um, attempting to make visible, I was just thinking about Ursula Gwynne's carrier bag theory of fiction, that idea that um, things are not so linear, like narratives are not so linear, and actually that to imagine the narrative particles just in a kind of sack uh, that jumble around all together is a, a much uh, more um, freeing way of imagining how narratives exist they just kind of uh, tumble upon each other um, 
and yeah i think you know the way that we construct things can be reimagined quite easily if we if we allow ourselves that opportunity because i think it's really to do with you know, the way that we construct things as artists is is a kind of um, microcosm of the way that we construct things as organizations and institutions and um, the way that images are, are I think when I say images I also mean the way we imagine things so you know that what what we think of as like society's imagination of um, of the male and the female um, we also occupy as a kind of mini version of that and so if we're if we have the capacity to change our conception of what male and female is then we can also understand that the larger um, network can also change it just takes the shift of the individuals and us and that's sort of one of the things that i think pre prevents us from um, re-establishing uh, or um, constantly deterritorializing uh, the society is because there is this um, sense that we can't change everything, that our agency does not extend through the network as much as we, uh, as much as it actually in fact does. So we can understand that, you know, um, someone in a position of power might influence loads of people, but we find it really difficult to understand that we as just one artist can influence loads of people too. And actually that our bodies would suggest that we have capacity to do that, to, to uh, make that affect across the network. And I think we just have to recognize our abilities actually to do that, to make, to make change. Because um, yeah, we, you know, we, even just through conversation, we affect each other. And so if, if we give up too soon, it's not, never gonna happen. Yeah, I mean, I think like, um, I guess there's levels of influence, isn't there? And I like this, the, the, the modest proposals thing of, of like, we, we do what little we can in the space that we, we occupy, if you know what I mean. It's, I, I guess it's because it feels uh, uh, an impossible task if you're, if you're you know, essentially powerless in, in, in that network. Um, so I, I suppose we, rather than, for me at least, rather than thinking, oh, well, I, I, I must change the world. It's like it's, it's an impossible task. But I, what I can do is have this conversation with with you, or talk to a student, or you know, and, and these modern proposals become quite important. You're you're right. I think you know the the um, the extent to which we can interfere is different depending on your level of privilege or the position you have in society. But um, that's not to say that the small things you do don't have a very big influence. Mm. Does that make sense? Mm. Because actually, you might think that you're making a, just a very modest um, act. And so I think for you, you're making modest actions and you think that they're important. But for somebody else, they might think, oh, well, there's no, no point even making that. It's so minimal that I might as well just coast along. And I think that's the, it's a very, um, that, that, that's where, you know, thinking about um, agency as, as limited puts people, they make a decision either to do something very small uh, that impacts a, a few people, or they just don't bother because it doesn't impact enough people. And so 
recognizing that actually what you do in that uh, modest interaction as something that has the the capacity to um, to be transferred and to take over. Think of it as like, you know almost parasitic. You know you're 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 transferring this these sensibilities to students, for example. And we have to understand also that the students that we're teaching now are uh, you know hopefully some of them are going to be uh, teaching in a few years time. Hopefully they're going to be um, the dean of Manchester School of Art or whatever. Right, we have to seek out the potential for that within our students because who's going to take, who's going to be the next generation? And if, um, and if by then, that small provocation that you gave them, that that influence is suddenly extended across two thousand people in the School of Art. And so actually, um, that's what I mean. I think by the networked potential of something, and uh, and that's what we have to acknowledge and that's what encourages people to do more because they like oh actually these small things have a lot of value mm. these small things have so much uh, potential if we think about them um in a, you know um more broadly and so it's not it doesn't end with the one person that you spoke to but in fact they then go and speak to other people and and they then make these other connections and they, they act as nodes of this uh, embodied knowledge that they take on. It might even be something that um, you know, when we're thinking about uh, our sensibilities towards um, race and equality work, that actually there might not be things that we can articulate. Mm -hmm. There might just be things that we um, do uh, or the way that we approach something that is what is important. And those are things that you can start to construct with students they can co-create with with them that they then co-create with other people mm. so i think i think they i think those modest interactions are really um you know they have a profound impact actually i think and so you know what the there is certain levels of influence where some in some spaces we have more influence than others right so for example and and it's about identifying those making them visible and then enacting what you can do like you say so my for my uh work with cfcca has much more influence than for example my um activism against tate so i do more with cfcca than i do with tate because you know i'm still interested i'm still invested in in what's happening at tate as an artist and as a creative practitioner and as a as a art lecturer and I engage with that conversation. But um, my voice when I'm working with CFCCA is much stronger because of who I am and what and the body that I have. Um, I can make I can influence much many more people in that space. And that's why I've continued a conversation with them for actually for like a year. And I'm, I speak to them almost you know, I speak to the board almost monthly about how they're, how they're um, working and, and what, they, what, they, what they're working towards. And so that relationship, um, or the, I suppose the energy I get from for, to, to have those conversations comes from knowing that um, I have more uh, of a potential to create interferences in that space. 
and I do that in the academy too. You know, at Kingston School of Art, I have uh, because of my job title, it gives me more potential to influence change, and so I put, I have more energy to put into it, mm. and I have let I reserve energy for putting it into places where I have more influence, and the place where I have less influence, I, I have to step back from because there are other people also who have influence in those places so it's about finding I suppose where uh, your voice is the strongest and then and then occupying it and 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 say I'm going to use it here Hmm. Mm. JJ I wanted to talk about the process of your video and just taking it back for the students of how you where your starting point begins how you imagine basically um, almost like if we were to make a film, for instance, we would script it and how your process in that and what techniques you use to build up, you know, um, your work, especially interested in like the tunnel scene as well, because I'm assuming that's found footage um, and how you come around kind of finding appropriate images if you're not filming them. Right. Yeah. So, um in that film or in actually in most films the text comes first mm. the text is a kind of um you know i kind of write it quite freely it's, uh, it's almost like um uh, how you might just make notes on the train or something and there it might be a combination of things that you have uh, experienced but also a combination of things that you've heard things that you remember uh, things that you make up whilst you're writing um, and then that's edited down um and the imagery so the the tunnel scene was actually i filmed that in in the czech republic at a, at a film festival I'd, I'd gone there to show a film uh, that was originally made for a conference at the rca called the urgency of the arts and um it was uh, about a kind of uh, necessity of rushing and feeling actually that uh, this distortion of time when when we feel that when we feel that we need when we have a necessity to do something or to create something, and um, and then I was film on the way home from that I was filming on the back of the train. We had to get a train from uh, Olam to um, to Prague, and that's where that footage came from. But it is spliced with found footage as well. Uh, there is moments of found footage. There are moments that are directly taken from Taylor Swift's music video, for example. Um, there are uh, the cherries that knock together at the beginning. It's uh, just a stock image um, mm. that, you, that, uh, that I bought for like £30 from Shutterstock. So the, these were, I suppose, ways that I was looking for something that would um, say what the text didn't say, but that I wanted to articulate. And so I would just scour um, things like I would have... Um, I would kind of come up with keywords that would allow me to search that. You know, it's like picture research that you, you in whether you would maybe think about in industry. So you would have you would have an idea of something, uh, and then you would try and go and and find it through uh, the internet or through like the um, archives of, of online archives of places. And so that's how I form the images, but. Um, but yeah, I suppose the length of it is also determined by uh, by what I need to say at that time or what I'm trying to articulate. And um, and it was filmed in very short, in two days, that whole video was filmed in two days. Um, I think we had about 12 hours of footage that was then cut down into 
uh, into seven and a half minutes. And so that this is why the editing is very important because you you then that's the point where you decide um, what parts to offer to the world and what parts that you just needed to articulate to you, for you to understand the work. You know, when we're making, uh, if, if we put it in a different example, if we're making a, a series of photographs, there's going to be hundreds of photographs that we don't that we don't put out there, but they're really important to the process. They're really important to the way that we understand what we're doing, what we're trying to say, and or what we want to articulate. And so then we then pick out what what we feel is necessary and, and put it out there. How many versions would you have done? You know, we, um, which is intriguing for me. We we started off with the with the shots that were directly mirroring the music video, and then we we um, just did loads of different uh, formats of things as we were as we were performing. But we, I suppose, there's the potential that um, that more outputs could be brought out from the material still it still exists on a hard drive somewhere both still and moving image and um and that still that might find its way into other works and a lot of the time in my works both sculptural and um and uh, and film the works um repeat elements of themselves or they um take on aspect you know like a, maybe like there's a part of a sculpture that then becomes an installation so I'm not necessarily precious about them being having longevity. I'm quite I'm much more interested in producing a, an, an encounter that is new and perhaps even undermines the previous encounters with my work. Because, I'm, you know, my interest in is in reaching for something that is yet yet imagined rather than things that have, have already taken place. And um, it's only been this year that I've been archiving my work previously I was really not bothered about it. Mm. Yeah. I think that's aligned to what Sophie Cow was saying and that development as an artist isn't it as time goes on you realize the importance of stuff mm -hmm. you kind of leave behind and you box it and then you revisit it maybe a decade later and sort of understanding that this is a lifetime of work not just a project. Yeah absolutely yeah. I mean that's exactly the same as the, as any other other things that we do. So you know Ben was talking previously about how, like things that you pass on to students uh, as a way of um, expanding the curriculum or like changing the way that we imagine things. And that uh, very small thing that happens ten years ago or later has immense impact. And it's about savoring those moments, archiving those thoughts, like allowing them to be in the archive of the students. And and then they, they they will they will have that impact later on. And it's the same with practice because you know everything I do I can perceive as a kind of practice. Um, and I think um, you know that the art practice it's a bit also so Cal said this uh, yesterday, but you know the fact that it's art is kind of arbitrary mm. because it's uh, it's uh, the questions that we ask in our practice we ask anyway. Mm. And this is just a way that we've chosen to attempt to work towards answering those questions or or um, satisfying those concerns. Mm. But um, but actually, she would have done this anyway. And maybe that um, if I wasn't an artist, I would have still had the camera and I would have still been 
looking at myself through it, trying to understand who, who I am. Mm-hmm. And so that that process or where it becomes art is, is, is quite random, actually, the way that we define it. I think it maybe it's, um, it's about how we share that knowledge that we've come that we've come to find is what makes it an artwork. Mm. Would you say, though, in some of the filming processes that it is kind of almost like therapy as well, getting you to a place that kind of would have taken a lot without that instrument? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think. Yeah, 100 percent, because I I came to um, creative practice as a way to find it as a way to find that space. And it it was the only process that felt like it was on its way to finding uh, an, a new conception of of reality. And um, and that's why I've lingered with it. But I haven't yet found that. I mean, I'm still I'm still living in uh, I'm still I still personally understand things in the binary, too, mm. of the way that, you know, this is the knowledge that I've picked up from existing in the society that we do. And so even I don't even have an escape of it, even though it's something that I'm trying to uh, get other people to escape from. So it's it's very much a kind of shared journey that I see uh, as being on. I don't claim to be like a a prophet who knows exactly uh, how to reimagine the structures of society. But um, I I try to... um, invite onto that journey of finding um, the methods of doing that um, an audience uh, an, uh, an audience who who um, are interested well maybe also sometimes not interested but hopefully they then become interested mm-hmm. thank you very much thanks again to jj for being so generous with their time and to sarah and alicia for provoking the discussion with their questions the music for this podcast was provided by a second year exchange student, Tukaplonen, and if you would like to hear more, you can ask him about it, and if you would like to donate some of your music to the podcast, please get in touch. Thanks for listening.